Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm not going to read my text up front, but go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 22. Um, I'm going to, uh, we're going to pick up another kingdom parable today, and this is a unique parable because it tends, it has the ability to tie several of the other parables together into one explanation. So uh, it, it's it's an interesting uh look at the application of, of the broad variety of parables that we've been studying, not all of them, but a large portion of them. Have you ever gotten an invitation to an important event only to realize after you check your schedule that you're not able to attend the event? This past week, a dear friend of mine celebrated a ministry milestone. There was a special service, an anniversary service. There was 20 years of pastoral ministry that was going to be honored and rewarded and, 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 and blessed. And, and it was going to be a great time. And, and it was an important event to my friend. Amen. But whenever I got the invitation, I really wanted to attend. I wanted to be there. I wanted to support my friend. I wanted to congratulate my friend. I wanted to be there when they celebrated because uh, the time's going to come when I celebrate the same kind of thing here, and I'm going to want folks to come. Amen? But whenever I looked at my schedule, Brother Donnie, it conflicted with a long-standing obligation. Purpose Institute was this weekend, and, and I'm the dean of the campus. I, I can't just skip out. I don't skip out. I miss very, very rarely. And so uh, I, had to, I had to reach out to my friend and tell him that, regretfully, I wouldn't be able to attend this important event. Uh, as much as I would have liked to, as much as I wanted to, as, as strong as my desire was to be there, I, I had obligations that committed me, and I was not able to go. Now, he understood that, and everything was fine, but could you imagine with me an important event? perhaps a wedding celebration, where hundreds and hundreds of invitations were sent out to people from all walks of life. And everyone had something else on their calendar. Everyone who received the invitation had something else going on. No one was able to attend the event. Wouldn't that seem a bit strange? You know, you might start to scratch your head and start thinking, you know, maybe folks may not like me or something. Amen? That's how our parable unfolds this morning. There was a great king who decided to honor his son with a royal wedding feast. And of course, being a king, no expense would be spared. He would throw a grand party. It would be an event to be remembered for ages to come. There would be the best food, the, the best entertainment, the, the nicest decor, the nicest environment. Uh, it would be everything you could ever hope for. And being a king, he would invite all the important people, hundreds and hundreds of them, the way it worked in ancient times was that an invitation was sent out well ahead of the celebration. And an RSVP of sorts was returned, an indication sent back to the host saying, I plan to attend the event. That way, the host would know how to, how to prepare, how to plan the event, how much food to have, how much room he needed to have. So our parable this morning starts after that first invitation has already been sent out. After it has already been accepted by hundreds of guests, and the custom then was on the day of the event, on the day of the celebration, after the venue was prepared, 
after the meal was in the process of being cooked, when everything stood ready for the event, a second invitation would go out. And that second invitation was to let folks know the party's about to start. The event is about to begin. And the appropriate response to the second invitation would be to wrap up whatever else is going on in your life and, and bring that to an end and make your way to the party because the event is just about to start. The food is just about to be ready. The second invitation is where our parable begins. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's been our key phrase throughout this series. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. So a peculiar thing happens. That second invitation goes out. Remember, the guests have already said that they were going to come. But that second invitation goes out, and the guests would not come. This is something completely unnatural. It is completely unexpected. The invitation here is from a king and it's not the kind of invitation that you simply refuse. Normal folks would have been excited to be invited to a celebration thrown by a king and would do everything in their power to get there. But this is not the case in this parable. Instead the folks in this parable simply refused to come. Even though they had each previously affirmed their desire to attend the celebration, even though they had each previously said that they would be there, they all, every one of them, turned down this second invitation on the day of the event. So the servants returned to the king without any guests for the celebration. The king was shocked. There, there must have been some kind of misunderstanding somewhere. Somebody got his or her wires crossed. Something got messed up in transmission. So he sent out a second group of servants bearing another invitation. But this time he was a little more specific. Tell them that dinner is almost ready. Tell them the tables are set in splendor. Tell them that everything is prepared. The only thing that remains is for the guests to come to the party. And verse 4 says, And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them what you're bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattenings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So this follow-up invitation was explicit. There, there could be no confusion. The king had prepared a feast. The fatted calf had been slaughtered. You'll remember the parable of the prodigal son. It's an important thing to slay the fatted calf. That's the special one that you've been keeping up for a special event. This is, not, this is prime rib, amen. This isn't just pork steaks. Now, some of you may prefer pork steaks. 
But that, that, that we were talking about prime rib the other night at, at Purpose Institute. And they, uh, with Brother Murphy said, Brother McCall makes a mean prime rib. And somebody said, well, all I've ever had is pork steaks. And I said, well, that's because I can buy pork steaks a whole lot cheaper than I can buy a prime rib. Amen. It cost about $160 to feed 30 people prime rib. It cost about uh, $25 to feed that same or even less, maybe $15 to that, feed that same 30 people pork steaks. Amen. There's a vast difference. But he's killed the fatted calf. He's got the good meat. He's, he's gone all out. And dinner is almost ready. It's almost done. It's time to put everything else on hold. It's time to come to the feast. It's time to, to show up where you said you would be. But the guest simply did not care. They made light of it. They mocked the invitation. That, that's very uncharacteristic. It doesn't fit the details of the story. Who ignores the invitation of a king? I mean, you might tell a friend, as I had to do this week, that you can't make it to a special event because you have something more pressing, some other obligation. But if you receive a, an invitation from the president to attend a dinner at the White House, you cancel your other obligations. Amen? Those kind of chances come along once in a lifetime. Amen. You, 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 you do whatever you got to do. You, you move things around because you've got a chance to go have dinner with the president. Or maybe for some of you, it would be the Queen of England or somebody else. I don't know. But, uh, I, I, you know, some of you may roll your eyes at having dinner with this president. But imagine whichever one that you, you would and, and think about it for a minute. Because it's not about the man. It's about the office. Uh, and if you got the invitation from the White House, come and be a guest of honor at the White House house and come and, and sit at a state dinner with the president. You rearrange your schedule. You get everything else out of the way. I mean, this isn't a normal invitation. The invitation comes from a king to his subjects. And you just don't turn that kind of thing down. But they didn't take it seriously. They were too concerned with their own affairs to respond to the king's invitation. Jesus tells us just how mundane their excuses were. One went off to his farm. Now, it's not clear what was so pressing at the farm that he would turn down a king's invitation, but we can easily surmise that whatever it was, it could have waited one more day. Amen. Most things on the farm can wait one more day. It may have been important, but it probably was not as important as an invitation from the king. The second chose to attend to his merchandise. We don't know exactly what that tells, but we do know that there doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency attached to that either. The, the purpose in telling the two excuses is not that those were the only excuses that were given, but is to give those excuses as a representation of the fact that the excuses that were given were shallow. There wasn't much to them. There wasn't a lot. It wasn't like I called my friend and said, you know, I've got this obligation I've had for quite some time. I, I'm the dean of the college. I don't just back out. I can't just skip. I, I've got to be there. I've got to be a part of it. I, it, it. It's a pressing obligation. These weren't those kind of excuses. They were shallow. They, they didn't really matter that much. There were things that paled in comparison to an invitation from a king. They just didn't care. Then in verse 6, the 
story escalates. There were some who were invited to the feast that didn't even bother giving an excuse. Instead, they took the servants and, and, and treated them spitefully. They treated them badly. They treated them wrong. They, they insulted them. Somehow they injured them. Whatever it was they did to them was not enough to satisfy them. And so eventually they killed them. That goes far beyond turning down an invitation. Amen. The group who turned down the invitation cited some excuse and, and showed inherent lack of respect for the king. But the second group took things a step further. They demonstrated complete and utter contempt for the king. They had no respect for him. They, they had no fear of him either, apparently. They, they acted as if he was powerless to do anything about it, as if he was powerless to act in, in any way, as if they could act with impunity and ignore his invitation and even kill his servants. And this king would do nothing about it. But verse 7 tells us that when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. So until now, the king has been patient. He sent out his servants again and again to invite his subjects to the feast. And let's not forget, that is the dichotomy that we're dealing with here. This is not an invitation among equals. This is not an invitation from one friend to another. This is the invitation of a king to those who are under his authority. And for whatever reason, those who owed the king their allegiance have chosen instead to spite him. But a king is not someone who will take that kind of rejection lightly. While others may have been humiliated, the king was infuriated. They refused his invitation. They spurned his generosity. And they killed his servants. And enough is enough. So he sends out his armies. And he destroys the murderers. And he puts their city to the torch. Now before we change the scene, before we move to the next part of the parable. Let's consider what we just heard and how it applies to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is like a king that prepared a wedding feast. Without doubt, the king is God and the wedding feast in view is the marriage supper of the lamb. Now, this is an intricate story that describes how Jesus was received and treated by the very people that he came to invite to be a part of the kingdom, to come to the wedding feast. Remember, his ministry starts with this declaration, the kingdom of God has come. He's come to invite people to be a part of the, of, of, of the kingdom. But John in verse 1, chapter 1 and verse 11 says, He came unto his own and his own received him not. He came to those that were his subjects, to those that were supposed to embrace him, and they rejected him instead. God had chosen himself a people out of all the people in the world to be his own people. They were his subjects, and he was their king. So when he came to invite the world into a new covenant with him, he came first to those chosen people, but they rejected him. They turned their backs on him. He came preaching the kingdom. He came to extend an invitation to spiritual freedom from the oppression of sin. But they turned away from him and treated him 
terribly. And eventually, they put him to death. Jesus is the one telling the story, but the echoes of his own death resound through the story. The point here is hard to miss. Great mercy has been given. Incredible grace has been extended. An invitation from heaven to join the kingdom of God, but it has been rejected. The king has invited his subjects to a grand celebration. They are uh, invited to come and be a part of, of what he is doing for all of eternity. It's going to be a wonderful thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a glorious thing. But they, out of their evil hearts, have spurned his invitation. And because of their rejection, judgment is coming. The armies of the Lord will march upon this world. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth as hellfire and brimstone consumes those who have rejected such a gracious invitation. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus goes on in verse 8 and says, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. So the king has been insulted. His honor has been impugned. I mean, think about it for a moment. Could you imagine what it would feel like to throw a party that nobody came to? How devastating. How, I've been there. I, I've watched that unfold. I, I've seen that happen before. And, and for a person who has gone to all the effort to prepare a party, to send out the invitations, to get the food and the punch, and, and to get everything lined out, and to get a room decorated, and, and to take the time to put it all together, and nobody shows up, there's a tremendous sense of rejection that comes along with that. It would have shamed the host. None of his invited guests were willing to come to his party. But that's not the end of the story. The story's not over. Because the tables are still set. The food is now ready. It was cooking. It was in preparation when we started this. But now the day is getting on and the, and the food is ready and it's hot and it's ready to be served. And the musicians are in place and, and, and the decorations are finished and everything is ready. So the king looks at a banquet hall that is prepared and ready and a meal that is ready to be consumed. And he tells his servants to go out a third time. But this time he has a different set of instructions. Ignore the ones who are normally selected for a king's invitation and go instead to those who are not worthy of such an invitation. He turns things upside down. Only the worthy, only the honorable, only the respected receive an invitation to the king's dinner. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm never going to get a letter in the mail saying that I've been invited to dinner at the White House. Amen? Am I the only one? I don't give enough money to, to the coffers of the politicians. I don't have the name, and I don't have the, 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 the recognition. And it, it, I, I'm a nobody as far as that is concerned. I'm never going to get that kind of an invitation. 
But those who deserved it or thought they deserved it and merited it, those who had that kind of a connection, they have refused. So the king declares the worthy to be unworthy. And he turns the social paradigm upside down and tells his servants, go seek out the lowly. Go seek out the unworthy. Those who would not have been considered worthy of an invitation will now become the guest of honor at my feast. Amen. Those who would have been considered unworthy will now be the ones that I'll I'll spend my lavish grace upon. So he sends his slaves out to invite anyone they can find. He sends his servants to the highways and the byways to invite anyone they encounter. He tells them, go to the highways. I tend to imagine that invitation as something like telling them, go get the folks who live under the overpasses. You know, the ones that life has passed by. The poor and the dejected, the homeless and the destitute. Those who have been pushed to the side of the highway of life as life marches on around them. Go get those folks and with their shopping carts and their cardboard boxes and their clothes that are weeks and weeks old. And they haven't had a shower in a long, long time. Go get those folks uh, that are living under an overpass somewhere in a van down by the river. Amen. And bring them to the wedding feast. Amen. These are the kind of people that would never have expected to be invited to a royal banquet. In their wildest imagination, they would have never dreamed that the king would stoop so low as to invite them to a wedding feast. But indeed, that's exactly what has happened. The king's servants now went to the least likely of people in the least likely of places and invited them to the king's feast. How many of them do you think would have refused such an invitation? I'm going to venture to say not very many of them. I mean, what kind of excuse are you going to give? I, I need to organize the stuff in my shopping cart. You know, my cardboard box needs to be renovated. I mean, these, these are folks that life has passed by. They, they don't have the arrogance to refuse the king's invitation. So the king instructs his slaves, as many of them as you can find, bring them. And the slaves do exactly what they're told. And the banquet hall is filled with guests. But we're informed that the crowd that is gathered is a mixture of good guests, good people, and bad people. Once again, we see the king cast a broad net. He's indiscriminately gathered people in. It's the same as it was when we were telling the parable of the wheat and the tares or the good fish and the trash fish. The the invitation doesn't discriminate. The invitation doesn't exclude. All are welcome and none are put aside. There's none that are not welcome to come to the feast. So the crowd is eclectic. They're gathered together from all over to the banquet hall of the king. And there they sit, a mixture of both good and bad. And now the focus shifts. The king comes to see his guests. And we're made aware of something that we have not yet been previously told. The invitation to the wedding feast was open to anyone who would respond. But there was one requirement placed on the guests. They had to put on a clean garment. This is understandable. After all, these are the folks who were living under the overpass. The clothes they're wearing probably haven't 
been washed in a long while. Matter of fact, they probably haven't had a bath in a long while. Their, their clothing's probably tattered and torn and dirty. And the king asked one simple thing. Exchange your old garment, the dirty garments, the worn garments, the garments that represent your 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 futility, your the pauper state that you live in, the 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 the, the condition of your life. Trade those things for new garments that are white and clean. That's the only requirement. No other burden is placed on the guest. That's all he asks. But when the king comes in to greet his guest, he discovers that in spite of his generosity, in spite of the fact that he's opened his house to whosoever will, some of his guests have ignored his one request. Verse 11 says, And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of so when the king comes in to meet the guests that have come from all over to this wedding feast, he discovers a guest who's not wearing the wedding garment. And Brother Donnie, he was shocked. He, his question gives us some insight. He says, how in the world did you get in here like that? In other words, there, there must have been servants stationed at the door whose sole job was to make sure that every guest who comes to that door gets an invitation to a change of clothing. Amen. There must have been servants who were there to watch and to tell folks, now, if you're going to come in here, everybody's welcome. Everybody can come. You just have to do this one thing. You just got to get Get rid of your filthy garments. Get rid of the old garments and, and trade them for these here. We'll give them to you. It doesn't cost you anything. There's, there's no charge for them, but here's a brand new suit of clothes. And apparently, in order for this man to get in the feast, he had to go past those servants and refuse them, turn them down, refuse to change his clothes. In many ways, this man who is not at a high station in life, he's not like the others who got the king's initial invitation, but he has the same attitude. He has the same heart. He has that same arrogance as those who previously spurned the invitation. He thinks he can come to the king on his own terms. He thinks he can come to the king's party and he can dictate to the king what he'll wear at the king's feast. He thinks that he has the right to cling to his old garments and bring them in with him into the king's house. Perhaps he's mistaken the king's grace for an invitation to ignore the king's command. See, grace is all-inclusive. Grace reaches to everyone everywhere. There are no fences around the cross, my friend. There are no limits to who can come and experience the grace and the mercy of God. Grace is wide open. But just because God extends an invitation to all who will, whosoever will, from any walk of life, does not mean God does not require obedience. Amen? So he thinks he can come to the king and ignore the king's command, but he couldn't be more wrong. 
The king commands his servants to bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The second scene in this, this parable is where we see the message of grace unfold. God, in his wonderful mercy, opens his wedding feast to whosoever will. He doesn't limit the kingdom to just a chosen people or a particular social group. He, he doesn't erect fences around the cross. He, he doesn't put keep out signs around, around the altar and, and say we only accept a certain kind of people and we only accept a, a certain level of people. There, there are some people that just don't belong in a place like this. No, the invitation to join the kingdom is to whosoever will. Anybody, all that you can find, invite them to come and attend the marriage celebration of the Lamb of God. That invitation is extended to everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed or where you come from or what you've experienced. You may not be worthy. You may not feel like you belong. You may not feel like you deserve it. But the King's servants are extending an invitation to whosoever will, to all who will Listen, come, uh, come unto the, uh, uh, the king's table. Come uh, and sit in his banquet hall. Come and partake of the king's blessings. Come uh, and experience the wonder uh, and the glory uh, of the king's household. Uh, come, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. Come, uh, it doesn't matter what's behind you. Come, uh, it doesn't matter what you've done or how far you drifted uh, from the grace of God. Come uh, unto the king's house. That's the job. Uh, of the king's servants. Uh, they go whosoever uh, will, uh, everywhere they can, uh, to find anyone they can, uh, and to compel all who will to come into the kingdom. If you're looking for the church in the parable, this is where it is. Amen. This is the church of the living God. This is the kingdom of heaven, and we are the servants, and it is our job. It is our calling. It is our commission to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not exclusive. Uh, we don't reach for just those that, that may or may, may, may think they deserve it or maybe of high position or of prestige. Amen. We go to whosoever will. Our calling is go to the ones that are under the overpasses. Amen. The ones that life has passed by. The ones that nobody wants to have anything to do with. Uh, amen. Because the cross is here for whosoever Whosoever will. But as broad as the invitation is, there is a single requirement for those who will respond. It's not a hard thing. It won't cost you anything because the price has already been paid. But before you enter into the kingdom, you have to change your garments. For the vast majority of those who answered that third and final call, this isn't a problem. They would have done anything, Brother Tim, to get a new change of clothes. They, they were ready for a new set of clothes. They, they, they dig through dumpsters to find new sets of clothes. Amen. They'll take whatever they can get, anywhere they can get it, and especially if you're talking about a brand new, clean set of clothes that doesn't cost them anything. But there are stubborn few who refuse to let go of the filth, the old rat-tattered and torn garments. They've responded to the invitation. They've come to the house. They, they've sat at the banquet feast, but they're not willing to accept the conditions. There's never been a more fitting illustration of salvation. The gospel is for everyone. 
No one is excluded. You've heard me say this week after week if we, as we've preached through these kingdom parables. There's no, there's no fences around the cross. Amen. This, this altar is open to anybody who walks through that door, no matter what their past is, no matter how confused they are, no matter how messed up their life is. Amen. This gospel is for everyone, whosoever will, from every walk of life. All are invited and all are welcome. Amen. But the gospel makes a one simple demand. Obedience. You must be willing to put on the garment. You must be willing to obey the gospel. How do you do that? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father except by me. You've got to come through Jesus to get into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. And you do that by identifying yourself with him. I know that I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but you identify yourself with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Repentance, uh, amen, is a type of death. Baptism is a type of burial with him in his name. Amen. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the impartation of that spirit of resurrection and life. That changes your garment. Amen. That washes your white as snow. Uh, that takes the old filthy crud that, that life has heaped on you. Amen. The old garment that declares that you're a beggar, that you've been discarded by life uh, and it washes it clean. Uh, it arrays you in fine robes uh, of white linen. Uh, amen. Clean and pure. In the presence of God. Amen. That's the one thing that is absolutely necessary to enter the kingdom. As broad as the invitation is, the point of the parable is that even at the place where grace is the only threshold to the banquet, even at the place where grace is the only threshold to enter in, some will refuse his grace because they refuse to obey his command. It's that simple. There is no exclusion. There is no, no, this is for me and not for you. This is for everybody. But everybody who comes to him comes on the same terms. Everybody has to yield. Everybody has to submit. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But some will insist to come on their own terms. Some will insist on coming into the king's house and, and keeping their garbage and keeping their trash and keeping their filth a, a part of their life. Uh, amen. They will insist on, on coming in and, 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 and insist that they can stay just like they are. After all, the invitation is to whosoever will, right? That's where the final verse comes in. Verse 14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. The garment is the difference between the called and the chosen. The call is as general as you can get. Everyone is included. No one is cut off from that call. The call goes out to the whole world. But the garment is exclusive. The chosen are those who put on the garment. And many are called, but few are chosen. Over the past few weeks as we studied through these kingdom parables, We've seen the same themes repeated over and over and over again. 
every parable, it seems like, gives us a slightly different perspective and opens our understanding just a, a little bit more. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, we, we saw both kinds of seed, the good seed and the bad seed, coexisting together in the church. And though we inherently understood that the, the bad didn't have to stay that way, that it's possible for the bad to change, the parable didn't really lend itself to an explanation of what that looked like. Uh, how does a tear become a wheat? How does a wheat become a tear? Then in the parable of the net, we, we saw once again that the good and the bad were gathered together in a broad net. But this time we understood that the good and the bad weren't necessarily measured the way we measure them. The merchant decides the value of the catch based on what it will produce at market. And, and sometimes even a trash fish can bring a fair price. And so we saw a glimpse of grace there where perhaps the bad could be redeemed. But here finally we see that though there may be both good and bad sitting together in the church... The bad are not bad because they were born that way. You know, trash fish are trash fish because that's what they are. Tares are tear because that's the kind of seed they spring up from. But in this parable, we see the bad are not bad because they were born that way. Or because that's simply the kind of seed they were, the kind of fish they were. We see that this is not a, state, a place where they had no real choice. No, the bad are considered bad and will ultimately be rejected because they have refused an invitation to join the good. They've been called, but they've rejected the garment. Very little was required of them. In one sense, the transition from bad to good was not a costly thing, at least not for them. The price was paid in full at Calvary. All that was required of them was that they would accept the grace of God and obey the gospel message of salvation. However, in another sense, it's very costly. Remember the parable of the treasure in the field and the, and the pearl of great price. In one sense, it costs you everything. A man has to yield to gain the kingdom. A man has to submit to enter into his kingdom. He has to bend his knees in the presence of God. The changing of the garment represents that significant cost of obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had to be willing to let their old garment go. They had to be willing to let that old life and the old man pass away. Too many people want to enter the kingdom of God, but they want to bring the old man with them. They want to bring the old habits and what the things that made them broken and destitute, the things that caused them to be living under the overpass of life. They want to bring those things into the kingdom with them. But the old man has to be laid down. The whole life has to be put behind you. A new garment has to be put on, and that's all that was required. But some refused. Let's not forget how exceptional the grace of God is. You've been invited to the king's house. You've been invited to take part in a feast that you never would have been able to take part in. Amen. None of us is worthy of His grace. None of us deserves to be in the church. None of us deserves to be in the kingdom of God. There's no way in the world that we could ever have expected to receive such an invitation. But there it is. His servants come and say, Come. Come to the King's house. Come to the grace of God. Come be a part of His kingdom. Only one thing is required. Shed your filthy garments and put on his spotless robe. Would you stand with me?
I know that I'm preaching to church folks this morning. And if I had a house full of sinners or guests and like we'll have next Sunday morning, I might would do my altar call a little different. I would remind you how dangerous it is to reject the grace of God. How dangerous it is to keep wearing your filthy robes when it costs you nothing, even as it costs you everything, to accept that invitation of grace and put on those new robes. But I feel like this morning with this group that I'm talking to this morning, I feel like it's more appropriate to point out our role as a servant. Amen. We, we have a commission. We don't always. And sometimes we get the mistaken notion that we were saved for ourselves. After all, it's all about missing hell, right? No, that's not what it's all about. It's all about reaching a lost world. It's all about multiplying the messengers until the whole world hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. You weren't saved for yourself. The scripture says that by, by one man, many are saved. Amen. I know that's speaking of Jesus Christ, but we're supposed to emulate what he was. And our salvation is supposed to impact our world. We are the messengers of grace going out to a lost world and saying, Come, come be a part of the kingdom. Come experience the grace of God. Come experience the mercy of God. Come and see a man who told me all my past. Come. Come. I want to challenge you on this Sunday before Easter. 35 or 40 people maybe here this morning. If we count the way evangelists count, we might have 300 or 400, but that's beside the point. I wonder this morning what would happen if every single person with the sound of my voice would accept that burden of the servant of the king and go find at least one and take them by the hand and say, Come. Come with me. Come with me. Come, Brother Mahotier. If you were here Wednesday night, didn't you enjoy Brother Mahotier? I'm coming quickly to close, I promise. I'm, I'm wrapping up right here. Brother Mahotier taught me something Wednesday night, Brother Donnie. He taught me how to get folks baptized in Jesus' name. You just keep preaching until they say yes. He said, 11 o'clock, one man stood up. He said, by 1130, A dozen people were standing up saying, I want to be baptized. (laughs) Amen. In midnight before they finally got down to the water. If you want to reach the lost, you can't can't just say, well, you know, if you want to come, come. There has to be a sense of compelling them. There has to be a sense of of going back and back. And Brother brother Mahotier said that. that, that There has to be that returning again and again and again until finally, amen, there's that, you know, I just, just, uh, just to get you to shut up, I'll come to church with you Sunday morning. Just to get you to leave me alone. Listen, it doesn't matter how you get them here. It doesn't matter how you compel them to walk through those doors. Amen. If you got to pay them, pay them. If you got to buy them dinner, buy them dinner. Amen. Whatever you got to do, because if you, can, if you don't get them here, there's no chance they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you can just get them through that door, there's a chance that their life will be forever changed by the presence of God. Amen. 
That's why I, I don't, you know, I, I, somebody wants to come and sit on this pew and then never change anything about their life and say, well, Pastor, I, I like the way y'all worship. I just want to be around y'all, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not lining up with standards. I'm not changing. I'm not doing anything. I just want to be here. Okay, be here. I'm not ever going to turn that kind of person away. Why? Because as long as they're here, there's a chance. As long as they're here in the preaching, as long as they're experiencing that anointing and the presence of God that was flowing through here in worship service this morning, there's a chance. But if you don't ever get them through that door, there's never any chance. So I want to challenge you on a Sunday morning. Brother, Brother Ryan's about to sing a worship song, and I, I want to ask you just to find a place of prayer for a few minutes and commit yourself. If I can reach just one. You know, Brother Benhotier said that too Wednesday night, just one by one. I'm not asking you to invite five people. I'm not asking you to compel a dozen people to be here. There's some of you I could ask you. I have no doubt in my mind I could ask Brother Barbie and Sister Larry to get 30 people here next Sunday, and they'd do it. They may have to break their legs to get them here, but they'd do it. Did I say that backwards? They'll forgive me. Amen. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to reach one. And all of us can reach one. All of us can invite somebody to church next Sunday. Amen. Would you pray to him? Just tell him, Lord, help, help me to be a soul winner. Help me to be that servant, God. Help me to reach out and share your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name.